Chapter Five of Our Little Austrian Cousin by Florence E. Mendel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some Tyrolese Legends. The following morning, Herr and Frau Müller and Ferdinand bade their kind host and hostess goodbye, and they set out for Linz, where they would take the train to Innsbruck, the capital of Upper Tyrol. Ferdinand was very loath to leave the farm. He had had such a splendid time there, and felt that he had not seen half of the farm life. But Herr Runkel promised that he should come again the following summer, and spent the entire vacation with them, to which his parents consented. So the child was content. However, he was to visit his cousin Leopold, and that was always a treat, for Tyrol is so charming and so different from other spots in Austria it would be a difficult child indeed to please who would not be content with a trip to tyrol herr hofer and his son leopold met them at the station in innsbruck with a heavy wagon and two strong horses the hofers lived in wolders in the unterinntal or valley of the lower inn river some distance in the mountains all the country to the north of the inn being designated as the upper and that to the south as the lower valley have you had your luncheon asked herr hofer as soon as the greetings were over oh yes we lunched on board the train replied herr müller then let's get off said herr hofer for we have a long drive before us he pulled his horse's reins and the beast started off at a good pace leaving the station they turned down the Margaretplatz, with its fountain of dragons and griffins, where young women were filling their pitchers, for Innsbruck is very primitive in many of its customs. Down the broad and splendid Maria Theresa Straße the carriage turned, and stopped before a most gorgeous palace, whose roof shone in the bright sunshine like molten metal. Oh, uncle, who can live in such a beautiful house? asked. Ferdinand. That is the goldene Dachel, or the house with the golden roof, replied his uncle. It was built ever so many years ago by our beloved Count Frederick of Tyrol. You have heard of him? he queried. Oh, yes, replied the lad. But I don't know about his house of his. Well, Count Frederick was a most generous man. He would lend to all his friends, who were not always very prompt in repaying him, and sometimes forget they owed him anything at all. At length, his enemies began to call him the Count of Empty Pockets. This was very unjust, for poor Friedel, that's what we call him, who love him, you know, had had a very hard time of it, indeed. His own brother had driven him from his throne, and usurped it himself and made it a crime for anyone to even shelter poor Friedel, who wandered about from place to place like the veriest vagabond. But, at length, he discovered that he had many friends who longed to show their devotion to him. He made a stand for his rights and secured his throne. But still, the nickname did not leave him. So, just to prove to his people, that he was unjustly called the Count of the Empty Pockets, he ordered this wonderful roof of gold 
to be put on his palace. They say it cost him seventy thousand dollars, which certainly was a great sum for a man with empty pockets. Turning the horses' heads in the opposite direction, Herr Hofer conducted them through the triumphal arc and gained the country road. I thought to show the boys the abbey of Wilton, explained Herr Hofer, as they trotted along, and perhaps stop at Schloss Amras, as we may not have an opportunity soon again. Oh, uncle, cried Ferdinand, I love to see old ruins and castles. We have a lot of fine ones about Vienna, but they are all alike. Well, this will be quite different, I can assure you, replied his uncle. The two boys occupied the rear seat with Frau Müller, while the fathers sat upon the front. And verily the little tongues wagged as only boys' tongues can do. In the midst of the spirited conversation, the carriage stopped before a splendid old church. Oh, father, exclaimed Ferdinand, what queer-looking men! Herr Müller looked about, but saw no one. Where? he asked. Why, there, by the sides of the church door. Both men laughed. They are queer-looking, aren't they? said Uncle Hover. But you would think it a lot queerer. Did you know how they came to be there? Oh, tell us, the boy exclaimed. Well, once upon a time, way back in the Middle Ages, there were two giants who lived in different parts of the earth. Each of them was twelve feet or more tall. One was called Haimo, and the other Tirsus. Now, in those times, giants did not remain quietly in their strongholds. They set out on adventures. So it chanced that, in the course of their travels, these two mighty giants encountered each other right on this spot where this abbey stands. But of course there was no abbey here then. The ancient Roman town of Veldidena was hereabouts. Now, when the two giants met, they stopped, looked one at the other, and measured his strength. Well, it naturally fell about that they decided to prove their strength. In the struggle, said to tell, Haimo killed Tirsus. Poor giant Haimo, big as he was, he wept, for he had not meant to harm his giant comrade. At length, to ease his mind, he determined to build an abbey on the spot, as that seemed to be the solace for all evils in those days. And then Haimo would become a monk, and for eighteen whole years he would weep and weep as penance for the deed. But poor Haimo had more than he bargained for. He did not know that the devil had claimed this same spot. No sooner did Haimo bring the stones for the foundation of his church than the devil came and pulled them down. But Haimo persisted, for he really must keep his vow, and evidently he conquered the devil himself, for the abbey stands, as you see, and these are the two statues of the giants guarding the portal of the church, so that the devil may not come, I suppose. Poor Haimo, said Ferdinand, 
What a hardship to weep for eighteen years, nicht wahr, Leopold? Jawohl, came the stolid reply, while the two men chuckled softly. It is a peculiarity of Tyrol that, not until one attains middle age at least, does he begin to appreciate humour the least bit. Children are always too serious to admit of fun in their prosaic lives, so that, were it not for the elderly people, humour might eventually die out altogether in Tyrol, so serious a nation are they. Shall we go inside, father? asked Leopold. We have not time. Night will overtake us, and we must go on to Schloss Amras yet. There really is little to see, however. And while the lads strained their necks and eyes to catch a glimpse of the beautiful paintings upon the outside walls of the abbey, the wonderful gilding and stucco, the horses disappeared around the bend in the road, and it was lost to sight. Now they commenced to climb for the road is always up and up in Tyrol. Below them lay the wonderful view of Innsbruck, with the inn running gaily along. There, too, was the fair abbey, with its two giants carved in stone, watching ever at the portal. "'Have you boys any idea where we are?' asked Herr Hofer. Both shook their heads negatively. All those country hereabouts is alive with interest attaching to Andreas Hofer, our patriot, replied he. Here, at this very gasthouse, inn, was where he made his last effort against the enemy. We shall learn more of it as we go along, he continued. But there is not much use to stop here now. We go a few steps further to the Schloss. Truly, it was a delightful old place, this castle of Amras, one of the few feudal castles left. There was an old courtyard paved with great stones. There were battlements and towers and relics of Roman invasions. The guide led them through the castle, room after room, filled with the most interesting articles of every description pertaining to ancient times and wars, all of which intensely absorbed the boy's attention. Oh, what an immense bowl, cried Ferdinand, and of glass. What is it for? That is the welcome bowl, replied the attendant. We call it nowadays the loving cup. In every castle there were many like this. There was a gold one for ladies, a silver one for princes, and a glass one for knights, which latter was the largest of all. When guests came to the castle, the welcome bowl was brought out, filled to the brim, and handed to the guest, who was supposed to drink it off at a draught, if he was at all of hazardous or knightly disposition. To his undoing, it sometimes happened he did not survive the ordeal, but that mattered not at all to him. He had displayed his bravery, and that was worth life itself. After the bowl was drained, a great book was brought out in which the guest was requested to write his name, no doubt as a test as to his real station, for no one but the highest and noblest were able to write or read in those times, and it often chanced even they were unable to do so. Why, that is what they do in hotels, said Ferdinand. Yes, 
replied the guide, and probably that is where the custom originated, for the manager of a hotel but preserves the ancient custom of registering the names of his guests. All too soon the visit came to an end. The party made its way to the nearby inn to spend the night. End of chapter 5 Recording by Jule Niedermeyer